Guys, one of the, um, the challenges when you're, when, you're, when you're studying a chapter, when you're trying to study verse by verse in a book, is to try and keep up with the logic of the author. Try to keep up with the logic of the Apostle Paul in, in how the verses that you're examining uh, fit in with the, the larger context of the chapter. Tonight we come, and the challenge is, is pretty difficult tonight, and I'm not sure I, I did a very good job. Um, but the, the verses that I want to take a look at tonight are verses 7, 8, and 9. Um, you know, I can draw your attention to some truths that are contained in those verses, and I, and I will, but the, the real difficult part is trying to, is to fit it into the overall um, logic of the Apostle Paul as he develops the, the theme, and the theme is Christians getting along. And that's what we've said every week since we've been together over, over 14, is that um, he's very concerned that Christians get along, and, um, which we don't do very well at that. Um, but um, um, let me read you the verses that are under examination tonight, uh, verses 7, 8, and 9. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Let me tell you what I'm going to do with this, and I'm not, um, I'm not sure I'm, I mean, what I'm going to tell you I think is true, but my, trying to connect the logic, I'm not sure I'm right about this, but I, I can see what he, has, what he has done in verse 7, because again, his theme is um, Christians getting along, and he says, for none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. And one of the major parts of Paul's argument when it comes to Christians getting along is that what, what we do, the awareness that what we do affects other people who are around us and watching us do what it is that we're doing. He says that in verse 15, but he also says it in verse 7. That's what's, that's what's in view. None of us lives to himself. Do you understand? <clears throat> that how whether you either serve the Lord or you fail to serve him, there is an influence that that, that bears on other people that are around you. Um, there, is a, there, there are consequences to our choices and our actions, and we, are, we do not live in isolation from other, uh, other Christians. And so uh, an awareness of that should contribute to our choices such that we would get along better. I, I hope you see the, the chain there. But if you can do this real quick, I just wanted you to see a couple of... One of the places that I see Christians ignoring this principle of verse 7 is particularly those of us who love our freedom in Christ Jesus. The, the, <clears throat> um, you know, I've told you that, that I will... I will spill some blood over, over defending uh, the rights of Christians to live beyond legalities. But it's, it's us who tend to violate verse 7 here because we, we oftentimes say, we're going to have our freedom no matter who gets hurt. We don't, and, and again, look at the, the principle. The principle is no one, for none of us, lives to himself. So your insistence on having your, um, all of your freedoms sometimes can be, um, can be very 
hurtful to those who are watching you exercise those freedoms. There are numerous statements like this one that uh, you don't need to turn, but you might write it down. It's 1 Peter 2.16 where Peter says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. <laughs> you know, that's what I want to say to you. My brother and sister in Christ, live as people who are free. But just make sure that in the exercise of all those liberties and all those freedoms, that you're not doing it, so, uh, doing it in such a way that you're covering up your own evil. Um, Paul in Galatians chapter 5 says, um, For we were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Guys, um, I think you know the principle that uh, is contained in, in 1 Corinthians 8 about um, you know, the old weaker brother principle thing. Um, it's, this is in 1 Corinthians 8 9 where, where Paul says, uh, But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Now, guys, I draw your attention to those three verses as a result of the statement made here in verse 7. No one lives to himself. So take care how you exercise that freedom of yours. Making sure that when you exercise that freedom of yours, that is so, that is so wonderful. Yes, make sure that it's not exercised in such a way that others get hurt by, the, by your insistence on your right to exercise your freedoms. Um, guys... Paul makes this same point of 14.7. He makes it a lot of places in his, in his letters about no one lives to himself. There's an influence that my behaviors have on other people. He, he makes that point several times. I think the best place that he makes it is in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26. And we've talked about this before. In that metaphor that he uses about the body you know, that the body has all these various parts to it. And, and you know, when I taught spiritual gifts uh, the most recent time, I guess it was a couple of three years ago, I tried to make this point, and I'm, I'm not sure I'd ever make any point very well, but, but guys, understand that Paul is likening us to a body, a, a physical body, and he says that body has all kinds of different parts. And each of the functioning parts in this body affects the other parts. And, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not a physician. But if the pancreas decides that it's going to do its, go its own way, that's going to have a whole lot of influence on the liver. And then the, 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 the functioning of the liver is going to really interrupt the functioning of the spleen. And the spleen is really going to mess up the kidneys. And the kidneys are really going to put a stress on the lungs. And then the lungs is really going to... Do, do you see the point? No one lives to himself. If we understood that, that whole idea of a body and the interdependence of all the various parts in that body, then I think we'd get along better. <laughs> you know... Um, what you do affects me, and what I do affects you. And that's the principle that he's stating in verse 7. No one lives to himself. Um, if we understood that, guys, as illustrated in that metaphor of the body, I think it'd go a long way to making us um, less insistent that, or, or more mindful that our choices influence other people. 
guys, I, you know, I don't really, I can give you an example. <laughs> I, um, I mean, it's a hackneyed example. It's, it's overworked. It's overused, but it's the only one I know. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, I can sit at various restaurants around the city and um, um, I can order a mojito or a margarita and I can say to the devil with you because I have freedom to drink that. But if I insist on the, the exercise of my freedoms at your expense, because, I mean, you may have problems with that kind of thing, and, and um, I mean, you may have come straight from a Baptist church, and all that's really iffy for you. So, for me, um, not trying to expose too much of my... Uh, my uh, behaviors, um, giving up some of my freedoms is, is it's no big deal. It bothers me. It, it, it worries me about some people who, who because, or in the name of freedom, insist that they get to exercise those um, at will. Well, you've just forgotten, apparently, that no man lives to himself. And that the body is made up of various parts and it's interdependent. Because if you keep that in mind, then it will, it will affect some of the choices that you make. Because, ladies and gentlemen, none of us live in isolation of each other. That's the principle of verse 7. And I can understand Paul's logic as he goes through verse 7. It's at verse 8 and 9 where he seems to take off into an entirely different direction. And, and I, I'm not going to be very sequential in my thinking right now because I really don't understand why Paul followed verse 7 with verse 8. I understand verse 8. I understand verse 9. I just don't understand why it's fitting, sitting right where it's sitting. That's what I'm... But let's take a look at it and see if we can't profit thereby. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died. And lived again, and that we might be Lord both of that, that He might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Now, guys, as you read those two verses, I don't know what you what impresses you. The thing that I, I mean, the, uh, what do those two verses mean? By the way, we're going to come back to something else in there next week. Um, but for right now, what do these two verses mean? Well, the best answer that I could come up with is really the Westminster Confession of Faith Shorter Catechism, question one. <laughs> um, I think you've heard of maybe the Westminster Confession of Faith, and then it has a shorter catechism in question number one. And, and question number one is really kind of famous. The, uh, the question is, what is the chief end of man? And I think many of you know, um, except you Baptist, um, uh, many of you know that the chief end of man, according to the catechism, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It seems that Paul takes off here on, a, on a, maybe a tangent, but the whole idea is whether you live or whether you die, you belong to the Lord. <laughs> um, whatever you're going to do, if you're going to live, you're going to die. We die to the Lord. We live to the Lord, we die to the Lord. 
Um, and, and, and look at verse 9. It is to this end that Christ died. So that he might be Lord over the living and the dead. It's, it seems to me that the Apostle Paul, having said what he said in verse 7, takes off just to promote the whole idea of the lordship of Jesus Christ over his people. That is, that Jesus Christ is the sole rule over our conduct. That's what his lordship means, guys. That we have yielded our will, instead of insisting on having its way, we have yielded our will to him. We are at his disposal because he's Lord of whether I live or whether I die. Paul says that on numerous occasions in different ways. But he has drawn our attention, once again, to the issue of the lordship of Christ over all of life, and even over death. Now, guys, I want to spend a, a few minutes just talking once again about this whole issue of the lordship of Jesus Christ, because... Um, there is, there is a, a measured debate over the lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, and it's been, it's been created, unfortunately, I think, unfortunately, it's been created um, by a little document that, that I've, I've addressed before in here. Um, I never understand why this thing doesn't... There we go. It's been... The Lordship of Christ debate has been influenced by a little document. You can Google it yourself today. It's called the Spirit-Filled Life. And in the, I've got it right here if you'd like to see it. I just printed it off. Uh, you can, um, this document, this thing, influences this enormous debate concerning the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And here's what this document suggests. It suggests that there are three kinds of spiritual entities. <clears throat> there is the, um, oh, there's a little, uh-oh, yeah. Um, there's a little chair in each one of these circles. And this, this first spiritual entity has ego on the throne and Jesus Christ is outside of the life entirely. This would be a non-Christian. Okay? Then, then on the other end, you have, oh, and, and it, these little circles have all these little dots, these random dots all over here like that. But um, in this circle, you have, Jesus, you have a person who has Jesus Christ on the throne of his life. Ego has been yielded to the lordship of Christ. And those dots in this circle are arrayed in symmetry and order. Because having Christ as Lord has put everything straight. It's this other circle that's the problem. Because what it says is, is that there's a third option where ego is still on the throne. Jesus Christ has entered your life, but ego is still on the throne, and then there's all this, this chaos here in the life. And this, of course, is called um, C-A-R-N-A-L, the carnal Christian. Suggesting that Jesus Christ can be the savior of your life. 
but have nothing to do. Let me just read it. This is the characteristics. These are characteristics of the carnal man. This is right here. You can see it afterwards if you'd like. Ignorance of spiritual things, unbelief, disobedience, loss of love for God and for others, poor prayer life, no desire for Bible study, legalistic attitude, impure thoughts, jealousy, guilt, worry, discouragement, critical spirit, frustration, and aimlessness. That's all those little dots in here. No, no, yeah, all those little dots that are... All those things are true of this person who is saved but is dominated by ego. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that schema has done great damage. Because, ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing like this in the New Testament. Uh, there, there's no third position in the New Testament. There's two. Um, you, you, may have, you may have heard of John MacArthur, and John MacArthur wrote this book, and this came out in 1988. If, you, if you've never read it, it's, it's really excellent. He's trying to address this whole thing, this whole lordship salvation thing that came up, and, and um, as a result of, of this, really, or at least this was one contributing factor. It wasn't really the only one, but uh, Zane Hodges was another contributing factor. But he fought this, and, and by the way, I just want to read you. Um, in fact, he, he says something. I don't even like the term lordship salvation, because there's only one kind of salvation, and it's lordship salvation. Um, it, uh, how about this? <laughs> um, listen to the typical gospel presentation nowadays. You'll hear sinners entreated with words like, accept Jesus Christ as personal Savior, ask Jesus into your heart, invite Christ into your life, or make a decision for Christ. You may be so accustomed to hearing those phrases that it will surprise you to learn. None of them is based on biblical terminology. They are products of a deluded gospel. (laughs) Um, uh, Over here he says, um, God's grace is not a static attribute whereby he passively accepts hardened, unrepentant sinners. Grace does not change a person's standing before God, yet leave his character untouched. Real grace um, does not grant permission to live in the flesh. It supplies power to live in the spirit. Isn't that neat? It's a great statement. Um, One more. One of the most malignant byproducts of the debacle and contemporary evangelism is a gospel that fails to confront individuals with the reality of their sin. But guys, this is a thing that has contributed to that. It's saying, oh yeah, I mean, you got Jesus in the circle here and everything's fine with you for an eternity. But you can live like the devil. And I challenge you to take a look at that 14, 8, and 9. Whether you live or whether you die, you're the Lord's. Lordship means... That Jesus Christ is the sole ruler of my conduct. And that my will has been yielded to his will. Guys, you don't make Jesus Lord of your life. You know, that's the the big plea. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. I know you're saved out there, brother and sister. But make Jesus Lord of your life. Let me just tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You don't make Jesus anything. 
God, in fact, I'd like for you to see this. Go to Acts chapter 2 real quick. We've got to move on here, but I want you to see this. Concerning lordship. This is in verse 36, Acts 2, 36. And Peter is saying in that first post-Pentecost sermon, he says in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't make him anything because God has already made him. Lord and Christ. The only kind of salvation there is, is where Jesus Christ has become your Savior and Lord. And that's where I think Paul is taking us in verses 8 and 9. If we live, we live to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Because everything has been yielded and sublimated to the overall rule of Jesus Christ in your life. Now, guys, I, I want to I leave that subject because I want to go to the other half of that. I want to go to the other half of that Westminster Confession catechism question because um, it says the chief end of man is to glorify God. Uh, that's not what I would call glorifying God. The chief end of man is to glorify God. And I've, I've tried to address that at least briefly because the only salvation there is is a salvation where Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, that's the only one there is. So if you talk about salvation, you talk about lordship. Okay. Don't try to separate those two, like this does. Okay? Um, but it's the other part that I want to address before we close, and that is, um, and to enjoy him forever. Um, I don't know about your experience, but tell me, why do you see so little of that? Why do you see so little of God being enjoyed? I mean, Presbyterians are really good at this emphasis upon glorifying God. But I don't know of anybody that's very good, Presbyterian or otherwise, in mentioning that God is not only to be glorified, He's to be enjoyed. Why is it that there is so little enjoyment of God? And at the risk of sounding simplistic, I'm going to answer my own question, then I want to tell you a story that I think illustrates my answer, and we'll quit. Why is there so little enjoyment of God, again, at the risk of sounding simplistic, I think the reason that there's so little enjoyment of God is that we bought into a lie, or the lie, that life can be found apart from God. You know, in in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, Paul says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Well, the pagan world has done that, but you know what, ladies and gentlemen, we have too. We Christians have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And we've come to the conclusion that we can really be happy. Completely divorced. We can can prop up our lives in such wonderful ways that we, we don't need that. I think we bought in... Um, 
my good friend Jim, uh, Jimmy Glenn. Jimmy Glenn e- uh, emailed me this morning and asked me about uh, an article that was in the paper this morning about morality. And, um, and said, where does God play, what role does he play in this whole disappearance of, of morality? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I, I think to answer the question is, it is we who have bought into the lie that we don't particularly need him to have a meaningful and an enjoyable life. And because we bought into that lie, there's very little enjoyment of God. Now, I want to tell you a story. I probably shouldn't tell you this. The only reason I'm telling you this is because Susie is in Washington, D.C. Um, she would never let me get away with telling you this story um, if she were seated right there. And she would be, you know, turning off my microphone right about now. Guys, just recently, um, I, um, I had a lunch appointment with a young man. Uh, he's in his 30s. Nice guy, pretty clean fellow that was raised in a a Assembly of God background uh, all his life. Just a a sweet fella. I mean, I I I like the guy. And and I believe he's a a Christian. But somewhere in his, his, uh, I don't know, college days, he, he decided that, you know, he didn't really need any of this business. And so he went off on a tangent in terms of lifestyle and behavior and conduct, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, 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 and he, he will tell you all that, it, all that it was. I mean, he, this is his story. Well, in the midst of all that, all of this um, um, drinking and womanizing and yada, 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 he gets married. <laughs> he gets married to a woman who is a playboy centerfold. Now, I know that you're Christians here and you don't know what that is. But I do. Um, and she was Miss August of, and I don't know the year, I don't even, I don't remember the month. She was Miss August of, two, but it was in the 2000s, uh, like 2003. And he marries this woman. And um, I mean, I'm sure for some good reasons. Um, he showed me, a picture of her, not, not the centerfold picture. Um, he showed me a picture of her, and she, she was quite, quite attractive. And, um, and then he told me the story. The story is she was abused sexually by her stepfather and her brother most of her life, even, on into her teenage years. She, uh, the only thing that she really ever enjoyed doing is making drinks at a bar. She... Um, she married him, but all she really wanted was to have a baby. And as soon as she found out that she was pregnant, she left him and started, you know, carousing with other men. And since their divorce, she has been married four other times. She's been married, and she's, she's only like 34. She's been married five times. And um, she is now living with another guy in another state um, who the guy I was having lunch with has met because she had a baby by this guy I was having lunch with, and he still has, you know, parental rights with his child and sees her and the child on occasion. And um, she is just a nut job um, in, in every sense of that term. Now, here, here's the part that my wife wouldn't let me tell you. I asked her if I could do this. <laughs> not, not tell the story. I asked her if I could do what I'm telling you about. Here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to find that Playboy centerfold. 
I mean, you can find it on the internet. All I got to do is get the month and the year, and he'd give it to me. I wanted to find it and print it off and laminate it and keep it in my office. That's what I wanted to do. That's the thing that my wife told me I couldn't do. (laughs) And that's the thing that my wife wouldn't want me to tell you that I was even thinking about doing. Um, But that's what I wanted to do. And here's why. Because every time somebody comes into my office and they, they want to, they, they, they tell me a story about what they've done and how they just had an affair with the Baptist preacher and, and um, he's left his wife and, and she's, I mean, particularly if it were a man. I mean, I, I don't guess this, this laminated centerfold picture would be as poignant for a woman as it would be for a man. But here's what I want to do. I'm going to take out this laminated picture. And I want to hold it up in front of this man. And I want to say, is that nice or what? Huh? What, do you, what do you think about that? Uh, isn't she cute? Uh, what do you think? Huh? Well, don't you like that? Isn't that fun? You can just see him salivating in my office. And then I want to say, listen up, Bubba. Because let me tell you reality. This is what Satan offers you. And this is what you get. You get a woman married five times in a nut job and on every antidepressant that's made available through medicine. A woman that's crazy. But you know what? This is what we bought into. We've adopted the lie. Instead of the truth. And so, why is there so little enjoyment of God? I'll tell you why. We want this. And ladies and gentlemen... doesn't exist. But you've been influenced by your culture. You've been conditioned by your culture. You've been meteorized. The the media has so influenced you that you think, ooh, yeah, I want to get me one of these. Because life can be found. Life can be happy. then you get it. And reality comes crushing in on you. Why? Because you believed a lie. And Satan got his hooks in you and you bought into something that isn't real. But it's pretty. It titillates. And so, the Westminster Confession of Faith can say all it wants to. The chief end of men is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I believe that. 
Yes, sir, I'm orthodox. And yet, the Christian church has very little enjoyment of the God that they say they love. Because we are more influenced, we are more conditioned in terms of our morality by the culture than we are the truth found in this book. Jesus Christ is is not the sole ruler of our conduct. We make our own rules. We live by our own plans because we're convinced. Ooh, doggy. And then about 18 months later, reality sets in. And you wonder, why do I have this much pain? Now you know. We're exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And the only life that's worth living, ladies and gentlemen, is where Jesus Christ is Lord of life, the Lord of the death, the Lord of the marriage, the Lord of the home, the Lord of the office, the Lord of the recreation, the Lord of the education. And that's what Paul is teaching in verses 8 and 9. don't have a laminated picture of her but I wish I did our father um, forgive us that we are so benighted so saturated with by a culture and that tells us that um, this is where it's happening this is where to have fun This is where to live life. And we believed it. We believed the culture. We we believed the uh, beer commercials. We believe that uh, Bud Light is is the key to having a good time. We wonder why our marriages are empty and lifeless. We wonder why there's so much adultery. We wonder why our culture has gone mad. Forgive us as a part of the body of Christ for believing the wrong people. And would you um, would you adjust us all to the place. Would you help us rid ourselves of the images of Miss October? And would you help us to think really about codes of conduct and codes of morality issued by our Savior and Lord? And grant us grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to live it Do that, Father, before before another marriage is ruined, before another family is devastated by adultery, before another set of kids 
is disillusioned about love because they've watched mommy and daddy do it all wrong. Grant us, Father, um, the power of the Holy Ghost. to enjoy you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night.